we're going to do something a little different. I was kind of reminded of this. Uh, we used to do this at the church where I got saved at, and it was to stand when we read the text. How's that sound? If you can't stand, then don't worry about it. But if you can, join with me, if you would, as we read through verses 1 through 10. No, you don't all read. No, that, no. Don't worry. This isn't a reading test to make sure you can read or anything like that. I'll, you just listen, okay? No. But it gives, what it does do, and this is the cool thing, is it gives us our attention to kind of break in the mold and say, this is the word of God, and so we're, we're taking it seriously, right? So, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spite out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus." that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man for those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, As the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we just come before you this morning and we want to hear from you, Lord. And we pray as we get into your word that it would get into us, Lord, that you would speak to us by your word and that we would hear from you. That, it, that by your spirit, you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we'd understand, that we'd be changed. God, so we, t- we just pray that uh, um, our hearts would be soft and um, just ready to receive. Thank you for each person here, God, knowing everybody's coming in and from a different place, a different um, week and circumstances, troubles, trials, whatever. God, we pray that you just would meet us all where we're at and we'd all leave this place glorifying you even more. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so as Paul continues his defense of the gospel, that's really what's been going on so far in this book uh, to the Galatian, the regions, the region of the Galatian churches. Uh, There's multiple churches involved, uh, but he's defending the gospel against the legalistic rising in Galatia. Judaizers who are trying to bring the law back into the equation. Uh, Paul has dealt with them before. He's seen this before, and and we saw last week he was adamant about 
uh, how the law has nothing to do with salvation. Like that has nothing to do with our cleansing. Jesus fulfilled the law and it's only by the blood of Jesus that we are saved. Paul knew this well being as he was um, like a noble Jew, high ranking, well, uh, you know, known and respected. But he's, he's here to defend the gospel and clarify the gospel and, and also to defend his apostleship, which is important because his apostleship uh, makes it, means that his message has value, meaning because apostle means sent one. So you, it's important that you are actually sent so that people will receive what you're saying. So God has sent him his apostleship and the pressures that the believers deal with and Paul actually dealt with and handled well. Uh, as we continue our study through this book uh, of Galatians, we'll be specifically looking this week at three individual pressures that Paul dealt with that we all deal with and a bit of a remedy to that. The three pressures in a believer's life that we should not yield to even an, uh, yield to for even an hour. You see that in there. And Paul says, we didn't yield even an hour to this. So these are three things that we're going to see as we get into the text. Verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Paul um, honored the apostles. He loved the work that was going on in them, but he did not find his value in being connected to them in the sense of um, that they were uh, his creditation. Paul knew full well the gospel that he received came from God. Remember, Jesus gave it to him directly. So there's 14 years between his first visit and his second visit where he goes back up to Jerusalem. And actually, in, this is uh, recorded in Acts chapter 15. Uh, there's the whole Jer- Jerusalem council. And the issue is actually about this. Gentiles and circumcision. Circumcision being a sign of the Jews, right? There was really, there was no other reason at that point. Uh, there's no like science of cleanliness, all these things that we've seen that are, are more so around nowadays or become a staple in our culture. But back then it, it meant that you were a Jew. It was a separating line. And so the, it, it become an issue, right? Cause you have the Jews and yet also the Gentiles had come in and Paul being an advocate because he knew he was sent to the ministry of the Gentiles, those who were not of Jewish descent. And the, but the Jews said, okay, that's great. The Gentiles are here, but let's make sure that they're also, you know, doing the law. Because they're kind of, we're letting them hang out with us, but we don't want them thinking that, you know, that they're not, they don't have to follow the rules. Okay. So Paul withstood them to their face. And there was this whole deal with Peter. Peter in Acts chapter 10 had been given from the Lord a vision. You remember a sheet coming down and saying, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Like, and, and that was a sign as unto the Gentile. So Peter was already prepared and then he had ministered at Cornelius's house and all of that. Right. But Paul is coming in and they're having a council to, to deal with these Judaizers that were around then. So Paul's like, this fight is not new to me. Um, it is continuous and it continues on. There will always be those who are trying to take away your liberty, your freedom and your joy you find in Jesus. There will always be opposition. And the greater the work of God, the greater the opposition. 
And so we're going to see, as we go on, three things that, that really uh, are against us and are real challenges that we're going to have to, obstacles we will have to overcome if you want to continue to walk with Jesus. Uh, so verse 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of, of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. When Paul had gone up to speak to this, the, the, in Jerusalem, to the council, um, they had all come to the conclusion, like, why would we put this burden on anyone that no one can bear, which was the law. The idea was no one could bear that burden. Only Jesus could bear it. And he did bear it. And he did, you know, accomplish his will. He got the will of the Father to become that sacrifice for us all. So he's saying, I, I went up and I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who have reputation. Who would be those of reputation? That would be the apostles, the namely apostles. See, there was like kind of... The, the whole, like, those who were Jesus' friends, that was prestigious, right? Everyone wants to be friends with someone famous, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I know that guy, you know. Oh, 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 you, you well, you, you don't know him, but your cousin knows him. Well, it's not your cousin, it's your cousin's husband. His brother knows him, Right? And it like slowly starts going back. And, you know, I played baseball growing up. And I, I, I remember there was, a, there was a couple guys that made it to the pros that you played next to. And you, like, played with some pros, you know, back in the day. It kind of makes you feel like you were one of them. It didn't, didn't matter that you struck out against them, you know. Like, well, well, at least I struck out to a future big leaguer. But we like to be connected to famous people. But Paul is a different breed. We know, we know that, right? Paul knew his message came from the Lord directly. And he was willing to, when he got to Jerusalem, to withstand them to their face. But one of the things that Paul does, and this is beautiful, one of the things that Paul does is he decides to, to meet with them privately. That There's two parts to that. One, he didn't need to be in the limelight. Two, if they disagreed, it wasn't going to cause this crazy controversy in front of everyone. It could be dealt with privately. Those two things that are really important, right? I think one of the pressures we have to deal with, one of the pressures that that we've got to refuse to yield to is gossip, right? Is, is, and that brings so much division, right? And so Paul wasn't really sure where they stood, but he made a decision to go get to the core of the issue with them immediately, He's like, I want to know where these guys are at. I want to know if they've succumbed. And we know Paul is down, by the way, because we'll see next week. He withstands Peter to his face. And Peter's the kind of guy that cuts people's ears off. Okay? Like, that's, that's Peter. All right? And, and Peter is the one who says, I'm building my church on you, Peter. Like, Peter had some clout. He was, like, one, probably the best known at the time apostle. Well, see, Paul has no problem with standing him to his face or telling him, dude, you, you're off. You're off base. But he goes in private. And, and why? Because he says, I, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. I don't want to destroy what God is doing in me, in you, in all of this. Gossip destroys. It's always so interesting to hear things people say. Versus reality. And that's where gossip is, right? Gossip is in the backbiting, in the little meetings, in the back corners. 
But usually when you find out what it really is, it's much different than that. Um, it was important that they would be of the same mind, though. They wanted to, he wanted to get to that where we, we should be able to talk about this openly. I, a couple things here in dealing with gossip, right? There's some good pointers, some good help, and there's scripture to back it up. Is don't believe everything you hear, but go to the person directly. It's always funny when you hear someone say something about you. You're like, oh, that's actually funny that that was said. That's not even close to true. And, and most gossip, it, you know, you play telephone as a kid, and it gets pretty messed up by the time you, especially you've got the kids who are trying to mess it up. And that's real with gossip too. Kind of add a little flavor to the story. Let's spice it up a bit. Throw some cayenne pepper in there, you know, see what happens. But Matthew 18 lays out how we deal with those we have conflict with. It says, moreover, brethren, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. That's the first thing. Go to him directly. If he'll not hear you, then you take one or two more. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If he refuses to hear them, you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to hear the church, let him know that you'll be like a heathen or a tax collector. There is a real order to that. And I think that you might think, oh, gossip, whatever. This is not that big. It is a huge deal. This undermines the ministry, the church, people in general. And so much of it could be completely done away with if we don't yield to these pressures. Paul wasn't going to do that. He was going straight to the source. I want to talk to you directly. Another way we can avoid this. Remember how it felt when you were falsely represented. That's always a good way, right? When you're a kid, you're like, do unto others as you have done unto you. It's like, remember, how would you like it if someone said that about you? Well, just think about it. If you've been gossiped about, what did that feel like? Frustrating, angering. Like, I felt like out of control. Like, and, and it was just so far off base. Luke uh, chapter 6, 27 through 31. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And, um, oops, I copied the wrong one. Oops. <laughs> but it was the basic idea is love those who God has put in front of you, treat them with respect. Who God has given and put in front of your path. Love them, treat them with respect, and honor them. Don't pay back. Don't try and be manipulative or divisive. Remember what it felt like to be falsely represented. And uh, 1 Corinthians 13, number 3, is love is the key. Love will keep us from gossiping. And this is the iconic wedding verse, right? Love suffers long. Think about what love is. Suffers long and is kind. Does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You can call this the gossip killer, right? Because if you try to run it through what you want to say to someone else through that gauntlet, forget about it. It's over. So that's one of the things I saw that Paul had to deal with, you know, that you could see here in in the text Verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren 
secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Paul brought Titus with him. This was no accident. Paul brought a Greek, and he calls him his son too. Titus is like his son. And he's like, he brought Titus with him, a Greek, not a Jew, a Greek who was uncircumcised as an example. And he says, not even Titus being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. He wasn't compelled to be circumcised. We know Timothy actually is. And it's not that circumcision is wrong. Paul doesn't believe that. But he believes that that if you think you have to do it to be right with God, that's completely off. Timothy actually does it as a loving way of reaching out to the Jews. Like, here's one more barrier I can take out of your way. Like, look, I I eat meat, but if I'm going and ministering to a crowd of vegans at a vegan convention, I'm not going to pull out a rack of ribs. It just doesn't work, right? Your liberty is misplaced. But Paul saying, Titus did not feel compelled to do that because he didn't need to. And, and, and he says, there's, he doesn't feel compelled. And this occurred because of the false brethren. There was a false brethren secretly brought in. Tell me how demonic this sounds. Who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. This is the work of the enemy. And we've got to understand, when we yield to any of these things, when we allow any of these things to happen, we are giving in to the work of the enemy. And it will hurt you the most, but it will also hurt those around you. If it's not enough reason to hurt, not hurt those around you, um, it will hurt you. <laughs> That's the funny thing. We think, you know, I'm going to teach them a lesson. You're, you're destroying yourself. You're doing this to yourself. But that, that's what they came in to do, was to, by stealth, spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. They might bring us into bondage. Who wants to be in bondage? We love freedom. We take it for granted here where we live, right? But we love freedom. We love the ability to do what we want to do. How we want to do it. It's like we've been free now where we can go before the Lord without any barrier. It's just bring everything to him. Just constantly being in a conversation with him, praying to God. And this is something that brings a barrier between you and God. Bondage. Holding you back from what you've been created to do. And then in verse 5, and this, this is where I kind of got the idea of not yielding to whom we did not yield submission for an even an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. He says, this is a non-negotiable. We will not allow the gospel to be tainted. Paul will be agreeable where he can be agreeable, but as soon as the gospel gets tainted, it's done. Brings us to point number two. These are pressures we're going to have to deal with. The pressure to yield to false teaching. It might sound simple, like, well, I wouldn't follow false teaching, especially if it says false teaching on the top. Here's your false teaching. I'm not going to read the satanic Bible. Of course not. I wouldn't do that, you know. I'm not going to pull out some weird man, you know. I'm not going to start reading the Book of Mormon for my devotional, you know. It's not like I'm going to do those kind of things. But the idea is false teaching is spread so easily. It comes in so easily. You notice it says by stealth. 
These men had been sent in by who? Where were they even sent from? We don't know for sure, but we could definitely see the overarching who they were sent from. Satan always attacks a work of God. And the more free we are as believers, the more we're walking in that life, there will always be those who come in to try to steal that away. Especially because people in bondage don't like seeing people who are free. It's like, it's not, it's, there's so much jealousy and they don't know what it is. So they attack, but there's the pressure to yield to false teaching. Um, that's what Paul in, in actually in Acts chapter 15, Peter said in, in his, the Jerusalem council where they're, they're talking about this, about dealing with circumcision. He says, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? False teaching is so quickly comes in and and weighs everyone down, pulls you down. Think about trying to run a mile, pulling a chain from your leg, you know, with a ball and chain running. It's just not going to work. It's not going to, it's not going to be what you were created to do. You're going to have sores. You're going to be frustrated. And we were called to be free from that. How do, how, how do we not yield to false teaching? Some really good basics. I think, first of all, this should be simple. Know the word, right? It's the idea of, of those who uh, deal with money. They can tell counterfeit right away. You can feel it. Okay. That's not right. That paper feels different. That looks different. There's something about this that's wrong. You know, I saw a guy who did a prank and he was handing, he was trying to pay for money that was one-sided or, or two pieces of paper that was glued together. Like just obviously fake money. They can't, like, I can't take this. And it's this like a thousand dollar bill or something, you know, like just super outrageous. And you're like, okay, everyone can tell this, but someone who really deals with money can tell even in the littlest things they could, okay, there's something, something different here. That's the important thing. We know the word Psalm one nineteen eleven. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So it's like if if we're not hiding our word, we need it hidden in our heart. Let me just say, the seasons will come and go. There's going to be good times. There's going to be hard times. And when the hard times come quick, it is so good to have his word hidden in your heart. Now also, there's going to be times of temptation. And when the temptation comes... Boy, it's going to be good to have his word hidden in our hearts. We don't sin against him. So we don't get caught up. So we don't get misled or led astray. Number one, know your word. Know the word. Number two, deepen your roots. Psalm 1. It's a good memory verse, by the way. Memory, memory chapter. Okay, it's only six verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. 
Does that tell you that there's a value to deepening your roots, to, to meditating on his word day and night? We are living, especially now, in a very interesting time. It's, it's not the first time that, I mean, there's been multiple times throughout history where it, literally the Bibles have been all burned and done away with. And we know how that turned out, right? But th- there's, this is a time where th- there's subtlety to twisting the scripture. And we are going to be under the, we're going to be stuck believing people if all we're doing is listening. We're not taking it in for ourselves. We're just taking everyone else's word for it. It's important that you are established. Not Greg Laurie's established, you know. Chuck Smith, sister, I'm a, you know, whatever. Now I'm like in that sense, but the leadership is established. That's not the point. You need to be established in the word deep roots. Because not only will it keep us from when the storms come crashing over, breaking down, roots are what keeps a tree from, you know, getting uprooted in the gnarliest storms. They hold you in. Not only that, it's where we get our nourishment and where the fruit is produced in our life. So all the things of protection, all the things of good that come out of our life, the fruit will all come from that. So that's the second way we can avoid uh, yielding to false teaching is deepening our roots. And number three, training our mind. And this is an important thing to train your mind. Uh, There's so many things we train our mind with. You know, if you're constantly, I heard something about how Instagram, like people look at it over 150 times a day. How weird is that? It's, it becomes not, it's subconscious because your mind gets trained in different wavelengths. And don't you know, Satan loves this kind of technology. It is well thought through, by the way. It's not like, oh, that's weird how that happened. We are are constantly in a world where our minds are being trained. Our kids, they're trying to get your child's mind. This is how we counteract it. We try and train our mind. We lead our families as we train our minds. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It is a spiritual, miraculous God thing that our minds are renewed. But we need to put to practice that and be, be aware of it and take it seriously. Or, or else we'll be casualties. Those who think you won't be, you will be. You won't be able to make it on your own. Verse 6. Uh, from there, uh, from those, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. I love Paul. Let me just say, I love his heart. He's so punk rock. Like he's just like he does not care. Like I just like I remember reading this and being like, this guy is so hard. Like he doesn't care. He's like he's like, oh, you guys are fancy, cool, whatever. Like. I met Jesus. I don't care. Like, are you you flexing your muscle? Nice gold-crested chair. I don't care. This, this means anything to me. You know what? I'm going to go live out in the you know, desert with my tent 
you know, my calloused hands. And I, I don't even need to look good for you. Society. I don't care about society. All your norms. I don't need your clothes. I don't need your whatever, you know. But he's got that vibe. You're like, Paul's hard. I love that, you know. But he's like, those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. <laughs> like, all the hype means nothing to me. I, I feel that, you know, like, personally. I'm like, whatever, it's just a man. Who cares? Important to understand. Paul is not discrediting the work of the apostles. He values them greatly, but he does not exalt them to a, a weird place. If you, if you exalt a man to somewhere they don't belong, Paul himself doesn't allow people to do that with him. He's like, he says, even if I or an angel speaks a different gospel, let him be accursed. Even if, hey, look it, if you see me go off the rails, ditch me. Leave, run, go. Don't, there's no benefit of the doubt. Well, I'm the visionary, so you guys should just hear from me, you know. Well, I'm the one who's going to tell you how to do everything. And I'm going to be, you know, the guy for you, whatever. That's not how that works. Paul's like, if I get off base, run. So he says, uh, what, but those who seem to be something, whatever they were, means no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. This is actually dealing with one of the heart issues of uh, circumcision. Is that they wanted personal favoritism. They wanted to be seen as higher than someone else. They wanted to be seen as the elite club. You know, you're a gold star member. I'm platinum. We're, you know, I'm moving my way on up. I'm a diamond member. But he says they added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel uh, for the circumcision or circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter, the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me Barnabas in the right hand of fellowship. Sorry, me and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. He said, I didn't come in looking for anything from them. I didn't come in wanting them to uh, approve of me. Their approval didn't mean anything because I know who I am before the Lord. None of, this, none of that meant anything to me. But they saw the ministry that was inside me. And these good men who were also following the Lord, we came together in a partnership. And they're like, yes, God has called you to that ministry. You are in the right hand of fellowship. You're with us. We're all on the same page and we're all on the same team. And he says, this is a beautiful thing. But I did not worship their feet or the ground they walked on. I think that's a real issue, right? It's so easy to do that. To see someone you go, wow, God's really gifted them, really given them a, um, you know, a platform. I wonder what, what they would say to me, you know? Especially, I remember thinking like that, like, oh, if you're around the pastor, I wonder if maybe he'll give a special message to me. I actually was listening to uh, one of Guzik's sermons on this, and, uh, and he said that he was at a conference, and Alan Redpath was there, and it, he was like his hero, you know? And he said, I use his stuff all the time, and... And I was a young man in the faith. And, and he said, after, afterwards, he's like, I just got to get around this guy. 
I got to get around him. And he says, he gave this message that was just so amazing and so beautiful and so perfect. And I walked up to him and I said, Dr. Redpath. And he says, I was thinking that's a good way to say it. Dr. Redpath is probably a great in. I'm just wondering if, great message, by the way. I'm wondering if you'd have a word for a young preacher like me that maybe would encourage or something that I would need to hear and, and it would, you know, help me out along the way. And, he's, and he says, he sat there and he was just thought for a second, stirring up wisdom. And he said, you know, I would have thought the message I just gave maybe would have done that. Um, <laughs> the one you just heard. And, and, and he said that he, he saw in and of himself that he was looking for something from that man. He, he saw him as something. I was like, and, and it's, it's weird because this is just like in us, right? Like there's this whole like celebrities are flesh and blood. When you see him, you go, Oh wow. You know, I saw Kobe Bryant. He's tall. Do you know that he's a basketball player? So yeah, you know, yeah, I remember seeing him. I saw Kobe Bryant and Aaron Rodgers walking together. You've got to be kidding me. You mean they walk on the same street? I saw them eat. Well, they are humans. They have to eat. But it's, it's in us to do that, to look at people and to put them in a high standing or high platform. So that's why the third pressure or that we must uh, never yield to is the pressure to yield to the fear of man. To worry about what man thinks. We are called to respect. We are called to work together. We are called to... And Paul, he beautifully displays this. One of the cool things about all these three things is we see Paul handled them all well. But they're all things we're going to have to deal with. The pressure to yield to the fear of man. How do we overcome the fear of man? This one is a huge one. Because once we overcome the fear of man, we become real weapons for God. We become like true disciples who say, I'll follow you, Jesus. Because if, as long as we keep our fear of man, we will always be submission to man. We were not called to that. How do we overcome the fear of men? Number one, we trust the Lord. That's the first one. We trust the Lord. Psalm 29, verses 25 and 26. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Trust the Lord. There is no no greater place you can put all your trust or your weight. We build on that rock, the foundation that we find in Jesus, we trust the Lord. We don't trust man. Man is shady. You're shady. I'm shady. I'll convince myself of things. Right? Like I'm deceiving myself. Oh, you know what? That donut's fine. You think about it. You walked some today, you know. It's not a bad decision, is it? You know? You deserve a brand new glove or whatever, you know, like you deserve it. Those clubs that you got, those golf clubs, they're almost two years old. You need some new ones. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's kind of like a witness, me being out, out on the course. Not that I've ever said anything about the Lord or ever even prayed while I was out there. I could see how God would want that for me. 
It's just so easy for us to even deceive ourselves. But the fear of man brings a snare. If we're under the law or the rule of man, we are going to be caught over and over and over again. Because man, who knows that you fear them, has control over you. This is where we're at. It's always been this way with mankind. Right? There's those who want you to fear them. Fear us. Fear, fear, fear. Nebuchadnezzar, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? All right, whenever the lute and the harp and the light, whenever those get played, you better bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. And you can do whatever with your God, but him first. And they're like, oh, we can't do that. Um, oh, really? You can't do that? Well, let me give you one more chance. Nope, not going to happen. Because we don't fear you. We fear God. And we believe that he could save us from the fire. Even if he doesn't, just so you know, we ain't bowing. Doesn't matter, right? And you know the story goes. It's a beautiful story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going through the fire. There's a fourth man inside. Their clothes, you know, they come out. The only thing that's burned up is, the, is what they were bound with. The men who were putting them in the fire are dying. They walk out. They only smell like smoke. And what ends up happening, Nebuchadnezzar comes to the Lord through the whole process. But we won't see those big things happen if we're fearing man. And tell me, is there anything more miserable than being a slave to man? Being a slave to what people say. You know, we, we are called to be free from that. Paul lived that. He said, even if the apostles go sideways, I don't care. I'm following Jesus. I'd be bummed for that. But if the whole world goes sideways, I'm going to follow Jesus. If none go with me, still I will follow. Don't fear, the, fear man. I don't trust. I'm going to trust the Lord. Not worry about what man says. Well, here's another way to uh, combat or overcome the fear of man. Fear God. You go, well, that's kind of weird to put fear with fear. Well, fearing God is different, isn't it? Fearing God is not like this, like, oh, no. It's like an honor and reverence when you recognize, oh, my goodness. Like, it's kind of like when you see God do something powerful, amazing, you awe and marvel, and you're kind of like, ah, you're like laughing but scared. Like, that was a lot. You were really good. You're really big. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has, no pow- has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We don't need to fear man. What's the worst man can do to you is take you out. But we have eternity with reward. If, If you fear man, you might be able to last a little longer. But what kind of a life is that? And what happens when all of your stock is in man? And you're standing before the Lord. You're like, "Um, but I have some friends. I know some influencers. I'm around cool people. Between you and God. 
And that's why we fear him. We are in awe and reverence of him. And number three, it's kind of like an offensive weapon. Be a witness. We're called to be a witness, to, be, to go out and to, to actively pursue following God, doing his work. This is a way that we show we have no fear of man. Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That a miracle had just taken place, and they were trying to uh, shut them up, and they said they feared man very much. Because they're like, oh no, um, there's a lot of followers and a miracle has just been done. We can't kill them because then they'll freak out on us. You know, this is the leaders at the time. So um, let's just let them go and we'll do a deal when we tell them, no talking about Jesus, okay? That's it. We're making a good deal with you. We're being easy on you. Just no talking about Jesus. And Peter and John are like, eh, no, that's not going to work. We're just going to talk about him because we don't care what you say. We can't, can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. That's a proactive way of doing it. The more you see God move, the less you care about man. In the sense of, you know, we care about man more in the way we're supposed to. Which is loving them, but not fearing them. What king or country or anything could stand against us if God is for us? Nothing. It's all throughout scripture, right? These slaves running away from Egypt and the sea parts. Okay. <laughs> this unbelievable battle or, or a fortress, the city of Jericho with its giant walls. How on earth do you penetrate that? Well, you should march around it. That's good. That should do it. Right? And then the seven times, and then, you know, let's see what happens. Blow some trumpets. That should, that should be good. If your kids are taking band, you're like, no, that will tear a whole house down. It could ruin a house. You know, it's like that ruined a whole family by learning the trumpet, you know. Get, get them something with headphones, a keyboard. Okay, cool. That's much better. But no. That's God over and over and over again, right? Gideon, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, no, that's too many. <laughs> I think you'll still probably take the glory for that. But as we, we see God, he, and he always is putting us in these positions where we can see how good and how powerful he is. And when we can see those things, our fear for man melts. And as our fear for man melts, so is our anxiety. So does our stress. So does our worry, because we go, Oh, I really am in his hands. All those Bible verses that I know are true. So then, so they, they had been given this, this place of fellowship. There was agreement. And he says, I, the, the apostles that you guys love so much, that you think of so highly, and you discredit me, we are in partnership. They're with me on this. The only thing, verse 10, the only thing that they wanted to make sure that, that we did as we ministered to the Gentiles, was they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which we also were eager to do. They just said, just make sure you're ministering to the poor. Just make sure you're taking care of people who have need. That's, what, that's all we want you to do. And he's like, oh, I'm there. 
I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're totally on track with each other. But remember, like this, these are these, these things that we deal with. It's, it, it is to be expected. We ex- got to expect opposition. And be prepared for when the day comes. There will be these, these uh, struggles and there will be these, these uh, uh, pressures that will want to make a, force us to fall into yielding to lesser gods. We have to have our minds made up. That when there's an authentic work of God, there will be a counterfeit, and there will, but the counterfeit will always be full of bondage. The authentic will always lead to life and joy. So expect opposition. Again, the three pressures in the believer's life that we should not yield to for even one hour we find here in Galatians 1 through 10. The pressure to yield to gossip. Deal with one another directly. You know, just go straight to the source. When people come to you and they say, hey, look, I, 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 I don't know if you meant it like this, but you, you know, you kind of offended me when you did this. You're like, I did, I'm sorry. I didn't even know I did that. Go straight to the source. Don't let Satan have a foothold. Don't yield for even an hour to the pressure of gossip, the pressure to yield to false teaching. Don't allow it in your house. Don't allow it in your mind. Don't be around it. Counter it by spending your time in the word. Be deep in it. Jump in on the year reading. Even if you're behind, who cares? Fill up. You will need it. The day will come where you will need it. And if you don't have it, you will be vulnerable. Because remember, Satan is, what is he doing? He's roaming around like what? Like a little lamb. No, like what? A roaring lion doing what? Seeking what? Who means devour? There are the pressure to yield to the fear of man. This will always be there. There will always be those who try to enforce. We just have to say no. And we will be able to say no when we're founded on the rock. The only thing that's stable and the only thing that can save us is him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these truths, for your word, for for our hope that we find in you. It is legit to walk with you. It is it is so good to walk with you. And we need that. Like Lord, we need to that close walk with you to avoid these easy 